Before we get into the episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the lands of the people of the Yugambe language region and Darawal country. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. I'm Jazz. And I'm Liv, and we're your hosts. The Afterbirth Podcast was created to be a space for you to share your postpartum story in your own words and listen to others share their experiences. In this show, we'll be talking bleeding, feeding, late night Google reading, and so much more. Each episode, we'll delve into all of the weird and wonderful parts of the postpartum experience with real parents and experts. We hope these stories help you to feel empowered, educated and prepared on your own postpartum journey or just help you to feel more connected to others whose stories might resonate with your own. Now let's get into today's show. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Afterbirth Podcast. Today we are chatting with Kate Visser, who you may know through her Instagram and business, Milky Business Lactation. Kate is a mum of three, a private midwife, an international board certified lactation consultant. So she is a very busy lady and we're stoked that we managed to lock her in for a chat. Kate is an absolute wealth of knowledge on all things breastfeeding, but specifically pumping. She has her own online course called Pump Better, which aims to provide education about expressing breast milk, which is definitely something Liv and I both could have used. And I'm sure a lot of you will really get something out of this chat. Kate has also been kind enough to implement a discount code for her Pump Better Guide for all our listeners. So all you need to do is head over to her website to purchase the Pump Better Guide. And at the end in checkout, you enter the code AFTERBIRTHPOD10. Thanks, everyone, for all your support. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We are so thrilled to have you on here to share just a tiny snippet of what you do as an IBCLC and a little bit about your own personal postpartum journey as well. Would you mind just starting by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, girls, for having me on. It is such a privilege. And, you know, talking about postpartum is forever on my heart it's most of what I do so you know being able to kind of spread awareness about you know matrescence and breastfeeding and all the baby stuff and all that jazz that mums go through is so important so thank you um my yes yeah for me I'm a mum to three still pretty little babies so my my eldest is four and a half I've got a three-year-old and then a 15-month-old little boy um so life is crazy um I work as a midwife and an IBCLC Uh, so I still work at the hospital but I also primarily work in my business so I do breastfeeding support um, but also do postpartum um, and antenatal private midwifery care and I'm based on the central coast in New South Wales so a bloody beautiful part of the world Um, and yeah we kind of set up shop there so that's my little little you know slice of heaven that we're working with at the moment it's good busy lady <laughs> but yeah very busy uh, yeah. it's chaos I think just being a mum you know like I think when we have kids we're like oh goodness how did I I thought I was busy before I had kids and then you have kids and you're like okay this is a whole different kettle of fish so certainly being a working mum and having a business and all that jazz yeah it's busy <laughs> well at least you are on the central coast I'm in Sydney and central coast is beautiful we it's me and my lovely. partner love it up there yeah, yep. super just just move on up. Everyone else is so. <laughs> it's either Central Coast or Queensland, right? There's no in between. Pretty much. <laughs> Queensland's too humid. Come here, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Well, I guess um, the first thing we'd like to touch base on is just a little quick overview of your postpartum journeys with your three children. I think you know, I'd love to hear from you about that, and I know Liv would as well. So, yeah, how did you find your three? Did they differ a lot or were they quite similar? They differed so much. Like they were all chalk, cheese and concrete, for one of better words. Like they were all so, so, so different. Um, I think my first one was definitely my most challenging and I think so many mums can relate to that as much as a, you know, even if they are someone who prepares for postpartum, it's still just this really stark reality right like you know you know we often 
prepare like you know we're, we're very mindful of what we need to do during our pregnancy and preparing for our birth and even though I was a midwife and in the process of becoming an IBCLC you know I I thought about postpartum I thought about breastfeeding I knew what I needed and so I thought about it so I was probably more proactive and more aware than the average woman having her first baby but to God, it was still a shelter shock. Um, and being thrown into postpartum was made all the more challenging because my first baby had a tongue tie that, uh, you know, I knew something wasn't right. Um, I wasn't really adept at assessing oral function and I don't believe in kind of midwifing and caring for myself and my own children in a professional capacity. So I kind of handballed that and no one could really help me. So I had a lot of difficulty from, you know, 24 hours in breastfeeding with damaged nipples and trying to navigate that. And I remember sitting there, I don't know, it must have been about a week into it, just crying and topless and looking at my nipples that I just couldn't bear to touch or have a shirt touch. And, you know, my hubby, and he hates that I still share this story, um was so well-meaning and just said like what like why don't we just give her a bottle like is it that bad and for me breastfeeding was a non-negotiable and so that to me was just like you know a greater to my skin I just I couldn't even comprehend that wasn't an option to me it was breastfeeding or you know like breastfeeding it was nothing there was no alternative so I was so set to make it work and the fact that it wasn't working and like I knew how to position a baby I knew how to get a good latch but I couldn't you know obviously couldn't easily change her oral function myself um so yeah I had to reach out and I had my own IBCLC and we had a tongue tie release and set us on a better path it was a long journey but that really impacted those early days of you know, kind of bonding and, you know, feeling those, you know, just that general kind of oxytocin rush and it was winter and it was cold and it was dark and I felt so isolated and, you know, I, I still don't have positive memories like of that and to the point where I go, look, I don't want to have another winter baby ever again because it was just such a like really negative first kind of couple of months. Um and it is hard to look back on that with fondness. It was probably about six weeks into my postpartum journey when I had that, oh, I love you kind of moment. So that was really challenging. Um, but we went on to feed for three and a half years and we had some, it got better and it was awesome. So I was so hopeful for baby number two and I thought, please, may this be a redemptive experience. And I often talk about that with second time mums going, you know what, it can be different. And it was, she was fantastic. Her birth was better. She did not have a tongue tie. She jumped on and fed and was epic. Like I never had a drama with her and we fed until what, like two years and nine months when I unfortunately had to wean. Um, but she was great. She was a very different baby. She was a catnapper. So you know, trying to work around two under two with a cat napping kid. And, you know, my eldest was not napping at that point. She was only 19 months. It was wild and it was in the middle of COVID. So I had no support. Um, so that was a whole different journey in and of itself, not having anyone to kind of, you know, hop in and drop a meal off or give me a spare pair of hands. That made it harder, but breastfeeding was easier. So that kind of got us through um and then my third baby again like you know chalk and cheese was so different he too had a tongue tie but I was onto it within 24 hours his was one of the lucky ones that was a magic fix um and it wasn't the same slow path to better function as it was with my first daughter um but yeah, we had certainly complications in those first five days. He lost a lot of weight and I was finger feeding him. But I had a really positive home birth with him and have just felt the most intense love for that little boy um, and contact napped without any ounce of 
maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I need to tend to my daughters. I was like, I don't give a rip. So I was very unapologetic about my choices third time around. And I, oh goodness, if I, if I could go back to first time mum me, there's not much I would undo. Um, you know, I still wore her. I still fed her around the clock. I didn't fall sleep upon her. You know, I was very baby led and very attachment focused. But if I could undo that voice of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and the feeling bad for things and, you know, is this going to turn out okay? And am I going to regret this when she's older? And is this a bad habit? If I could undo all of that and show myself what third time mum Kate was going to do, God, postpartum would have been like a really epic ride. So it's a real pleasure and privilege um, as a midwife and an LC to kind of share that real experienced mum who's still in the depths of, you know, postpartum and still in the depths of motherhood, but to kind of share that perspective with mums because um, it's, it's so awesome. Like my girls are a bit bigger now. And they, you know, they're not catnapping. They don't need to, you know, be cuddled all the time. It's very different. They're not feeding and you make it through, but we kind of need that little glimmer, I hope, sometimes. But, yeah, three very different, very, very, very different postpartum journeys between all of them. But all taught me something super important. Yeah, I think you you learn a lot of, like, you learn different lessons with each baby, don't you? And Totally. um, I heard a saying about how no two child children even in the same family have the same parents um like I yeah. know I'm a completely different mum this time around than I was the first time and so I think your stories really speak to that yeah absolutely and that's where I say to 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 mums I go you know like you yeah like that same ethos of kind of going like we've you know your body better than anyone else and don't ever let someone tell you otherwise and you know your child better than anyone else and don't let anyone tell you otherwise um you know because we have to come from this place of respect certainly for me as a health professional because you know even if I've met this mum before I've certainly never met this baby before but I've never met this version of this mum before um because yeah she has far newer experiences or different experiences with each child um, and she's never had to interact with this baby. Um, so the, the two of them have never coexisted together. So if we can't respect that and identify that, then we've already kind of failed from the outset. You know, we can't assume things um, as professionals about, you know, mums and bubs because they are all so incredibly unique. Um, but yeah, same, yeah, same kind of idea. Kate, I'd love to speak to your experience as uh, an IBCLC here. So you mentioned with your first that not breastfeeding was just, it was just not an option for you. Um, I am curious to know what are some options for those mums who either can't for whatever reason or just don't wish to breastfeed? So I know... um, from speaking to you through my personal Instagram account that you are a big advocate for donor breast milk. And with my first, I actually, um, not a lot of people know this, but I heavily relied on a friend of mine who had a big oversupply um, and I used uh, her milk uh, to top up my little, my first little boy um so yeah I'm I'm interested to know what what sort of options women who can't or don't want to breastfeed have yeah really good question because I think we have this perception that it has to be all breastfeeding or it's all formula and we don't really talk about what the middle ground is and you know I'm just I'm a huge advocate for like just really informed decision making because ultimately my goal for everything to do with a mum and a baby is I want that mum to be you know becoming a grandparent and for her child to be like how did you like how did you birth me or like how did you feed me or you know like you know what did you do and asking those kind of questions you know like around the coffee table and for that mum to be able to have that sense of real like pride and joy 
you know, like even if it was really bloody hard for her to be like, you know what, like I did this and I'm so stoked because it worked and, you know, like I don't regret it for a second. So that's going to look different for every single woman. So even though breastfeeding was a non-negotiable for me, that might be the absolute worst idea ever for the next mum. And so for her to breastfeed, that might be really traumatic for whatever reason. Um, So we've got to give women the options and the choices to make their own journey something that they're really proud of. Um, So people often wonder, you know, like with lactation consultants, they're like, oh, they're very pro breastfeeding. And we are because most women want to breastfeed and they don't have that support, but there are women who don't want to. So we need to support them equally as much. Um, So in terms of options, yeah. So breastfeeding uh, directly is obviously the, you know, kind of like what we call the gold standard. So if we, that is what we recommend is the best option for mums and for babies overall, that's not going to be every single person, um, but that's, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, beneficial gut bacteria and bonding and all the normal physiological stuff, directly breastfeeding. After that, we can go to expressed breast milk from that mum. So if a mum, for whatever reason, does not feel comfortable or is unable to directly breastfeed her own baby she can work at exclusive expressing that is a whole different um kettle of fish and it is quite different to directly breastfeeding there's certainly similarities um but that does work really well for some women um so again it's about that information so that's where we're using a breast pump around the clock um to regularly stimulate breasts and Um, and to uh, remove milk from them so it's still that mother's own breast milk but um, just not directly passed through from breast tissue to baby Um, it's collected in a bottle Um, after that yeah so similar to what you're saying Liv is using donor milk so that can be in a formal capacity so through a designated milk bank um, where that milk is all kind of pulled together from multiple donors it's pasteurized all the donors are screened. So it is the safest option that we have. Um, there's you, there's there's a handful uh, of milk banks around in Australia, mostly in kind of the, the city and metropolitan areas. Um, it's not always available to all mums, sorry. It's, for some hospitals, it, it's only available to premature babies, um, which can limit access. Um, and sometimes there is a fee with it as well that isn't it can be it can be really challenging and doesn't always make it sustainable for mum to be able to purchase that because it is a considerable amount of money to be able to exclusively uh you know donor feed with um you know paid milk through a milk bank uh so the next kind of sub set or like a, a side step for donor milk is informal milk sharing so exactly what you usually live in that you know it's usually a a friend or a sister um you know, like a cousin or family member or just someone that we know who pumps, whether that be regularly or as a once-off. And that's just peer-to-peer milk sharing. So obviously with that, we rely on a lot of trust um, and, you know, kind of that open disclosure of saying, you know what, I don't have any, um, you know, kind of issues like with viral serology. So, you know, like hepatitis Bs and Cs and things like that. Um, any medical history, any medications, you know, openly discussing how that milk is collected, how it's stored, because um, that all matters, you know, depending on the health of your baby and things like that. Um, so there is a lot of trust involved and that can be um, a really beautiful relationship and it can be an ongoing thing. Sometimes it needs to stop. You know, it, it can be different. It's different for everyone. Um, you know, uh, at the moment, I'm currently using donor milk um, for my youngest son. And that is a very humbling experience. And I will cry thinking about it um, because as someone who has donated milk previously, I never really saw the value in it. Like I just, it was just milk. It was just something I made and I could help someone else and get please like just take it it was no different to donating blood for me it was have it like you need it more than my freezer does you know like my babies never took express breast milk and I was aware so just take it you know it's good to you know it'll go to a good home um so being on the receiving end of it is just humbling because for me it's like well this is something that I now can't give my own 
um, child, but someone has, I feel so much sacrifice in the sitting there and the pumping and the storing and the cleaning and the organizing and all the fat that comes with pumping. So it's just so humbling that someone would take the time out of their day to do this. And I have a friend who does this every single day for us um, and has done for the last few months. And it just blows my mind. And to me, thank you was never enough. Um, So that's, you know, kind of the informal version of milk sharing. Um, And then if we step it down, we can, we typically the next step is formula, but I often throw mixed feeding in there because that's also a very realistic option for some women. Um, It's not always sustainable for all. And that's something that I do talk about in my pump better course, because for some women, they want to mixed feed, but it depends on what we call their breast storage capacity. So for some women, unfortunately, if they start to introduce formula and it spaces out their breastfeeds, if they don't have a great storage capacity, it can actually lower their milk supply. And typically that's where we hear those stories of mums needing to give more and more formula. And then they say their breast milk supply dwindled. However, for other mums who have a really good breast storage capacity, you know, throwing in a couple of bottles of formula doesn't necessarily change their overall milk supply too much. So it is actually really sustainable and it can work really well for them. Um, So again, being informed about what the risks are and what that looks like and how that's going to impact them and their bodies specifically um, can be really helpful in making that decision about what that plan is going to look like. Um, And then down from there is exclusively formula feeding. And this doesn't have to be straight with a bottle. So I have worked with mums who have mixed fed and even formula fed at the breast with a supply line. Um, And I kind of, in a way, find this really redemptive for some mums. So certainly mums who have had, say, breast cancer surgery, um, other mums who have really uh, low... um, glandular tissue so insufficient glandular tissue in their breasts who might only make drops I've had mums who have previously gone through um, you know blood related cancers where chemotherapy has affected their breast tissue um, and struggled to make a full milk supply and they can either use they can use donor milk um, but they can also use formula if it's more accessible and that's their choice with a supply line so they're still breastfeeding you know kind of quote unquote because they're feeding their baby at the breast um but with milk that's not their own whether that be donor milk or formula so I think it's just so important that we talk about options that it doesn't have to be exclusive breastfeeding at the breast and it doesn't have to be 100% formula through a bottle you know that we've got options um what those options look like for you might be different and we do need to be careful about how that's going to impact milk supply but yeah, it's always something to explore. So if something isn't working for you, you know, I'm a big believer in a little bit of breast milk over the longer term is better than a lot of breast milk in the shorter term. So if you're going to burn out by exclusive breastfeeding, then that's not going to serve you and your baby well. But if you can continue on for like another three, four, five, six months, another year, because we made it sustainable um, and doable, then that is so much richer and so much better um, for you both so yeah options always yeah and um I guess in with that during that sort of antenatal period where do you think we are going wrong with the education that's just provided uh about feeding options because like I know Jazz and I have spoken about this in when in our first episode when we told our stories, we both uh, ended up <clears throat> mixed feeding quite early on with, I think Jazz, correct me if I'm wrong, but both of us seemed to have the, uh, the goal uh, prior to baby being born of exclusively breastfeeding. Yeah. But weren't supported to... Um, for that to end up being the case and mm. yeah what yeah, are your definitely. sort of thoughts on yeah on the antenatal preparation side of that oh we have such a long way to go um you know I think it's just it all kind of comes down to our system 
um, and what our priorities are and what our focus is. And, you know, certainly I can't, you know, I can't be critical as an IBCLC of midwives because I am a midwife. I still work in the system. I understand the realities and the time pressures and, you know, that we have very limited time and contact with women so we're often trying to give them resources and you know refer them to things to look at in their own time so we're trying to do the best we can with what we have so I on a very visceral level I understand what it's like for the majority women who um, are cared for in the public system Um, so if we look at care in that capacity you know we need to do more than just asking, you know, what is your intention? How would you like to feed your baby? And, you know, kind of here's some resources. Um, you know, like I I have, you know, with my own midwifery clients, you know, that I've cared for over the longer journey, you know, I have more time. And I think that's the real key that I have time to unpack, you know, like the, the why behind breastfeeding, because it's the why that we hold on to, you know, in those really challenging seasons. And that that's going to be different for everyone. That could just be as simple as going, you know, it just, it just culturally is just something that's really right for me. I've had women who have a really strong family history of breast cancer and they're like, you know what, I know this is going to lower my risk and I'm just going to do everything I can. So it varies, but holding on to that. So we've got the time and the capacity to really talk about postpartum and what this is going to look like and what feeding looks like in, you know, say first 24 hours, the 48, 72 hours, you know, what a sign of a good milk supply is, you know, what is reassuring, you know, feeling our breasts, watching our babies wet and dirty nappies, their weight gain, what's normal. Um, and then kind of going through those common hurdles that we get, you know, like in those usually that first four to six weeks, you know, like if, you know, if we're having issues with weight gain, what does this look at, look like? What supports do we have? Um, I'm obviously in a really, you know, kind of privileged position in that if I'm caring for someone um, as a midwife, I don't have a separate hat on, like I'm still a lactation consultant, so I can still provide that support. So I'm really lucky that I don't have to say, look, I'd recommend that you go and see this support. Um, But unfortunately, you know, in the public sector, we are unable to refer to private sources. So we're only able to refer back to you know, um, who we have publicly available. So you might not even have an IBCLC working at your hospital. So you'll be referred to the child and family health nurses, um, which you might find an absolutely fantastic one, no different to any other health or care provider. Um, But they have very limited um, knowledge around breastfeeding. They get less training than midwives do. Um, And they're providing really, you know, you might have really complex management you know, there might be really significant issues. Um, and I've certainly seen many, many, many women who have come with a plan from, um, you know, child and family health nurses or their GPs or midwives. And there just isn't that training and education. So it all starts during pregnancy that there's just not that time dedicated to what is normal, what to expect, um, what is really reassuring but the what to do if we see something that isn't reassuring, you know, where we need to go, who we need to see and what that looks like. Um, and unfortunately, most of the time you will get better support kind of going through like private care with a lactation consultant, um, um, you know, because we've got that time, the capacity to spend, you know, I'll spend 90 minutes with clients, you know, observing a feed and you know, undertaking their history and, you know, like, doing all the assessments I possibly can before we make a plan. And that kind of care just isn't really available through the public. Um, And again, if you see, you know, if you see an obstetrician during your pregnancy, they are not skilled in breastfeeding. Um, They will, I can't say I've ever seen one um, provide hands-on assistance with a woman breastfeeding. Um, And in my experience, they get very little breastfeeding education during their pregnancy. Um, So again, that plays a part. So we have such a long way to go in terms of anything postpartum related and prep. I think we're doing better than we have for a long time. You know, there's far more postpartum supports, you know, in terms of meal services and postpartum doulas and, you know, recognising that, you know, just having, paying for a cleaner for crying out loud is a great, you know, baby shower gift so that mums can just do what they need to do. But 
antenatal breastfeeding education is pretty rubbish and we yeah we need to do better I don't know what the golden answer is um I'm certainly not a world changer and thinker in that capacity (laughs) but yeah we definitely need to do better and it starts with the system and how we care for women yeah. So I actually learned how to breastfeed from a friend at 3 a.m. in the morning via Instagram video. Like I had no idea. And this was about end of, it would have been a week and a half of me trying to figure out what I was doing. And she, I messaged her at 3 a.m. because she was also feeding her couple of month old baby. And, um, yeah, she showed me how to latch. She showed me how to hold the baby. And honestly, if it wasn't for her, I would have been so lost. When I was in the hospital, I was in isolation because I had COVID. Um, I had COVID when I had aura and the midwife came in to talk to me about breastfeeding. And when she did, she, she held the baby standing, you know, 1.5 meters away from me in her, in her kit to protect herself. Um, and she was standing there rocking the baby, telling me how to breastfeed. And this was six hours post-birth. So everything she said went way over my head and she didn't come and sit down and show me how to latch. She didn't physically show me how to do it. So I was so unsure of what I was doing. Um, so yeah, I ended up going home unaware of how to breastfeed and I didn't even know what a lactation consultant was until I'd gotten home and googled how to breastfeed that is where I found out what a lactation consultant is and I couldn't even go see one because I had COVID um so yeah it was it was a really difficult journey for me um and yeah like I said if it wasn't for my friend um being there for me I would have been extremely lost in how to breastfeed yeah and that's such a normal conversation like I was I was actually thinking something along the very same lines um currently where I am I have had a conversation with um my neighbor before who is um oh he'd have to be in his 70s bless him um but I've had a conversation similar with multiple elderly men who have all had the same ethos of you know, so like, what's your job? And I would tell them I'm a midwife and lactation consultant. They're like, so what do you do? Like you teach women how to breastfeed and it's such a foreign concept. They're like, they joke about it. It's all, it's, it's the same with every conversation I've had. They're like, what, you need to teach women how to breastfeed. Um, and I, it really irks me because I go, well, yes, because breastfeeding is natural like learning to walk like it's natural like sex is right were you good did you start running the first time probably not you probably fell over when you tried to walk and were you really good like did you have great sex the first time because if you did you're an anomaly right so breastfeeding is natural a learned skill it's not natural like breathing and your heart beating um so yes women need teaching and tapping into that intuition of how to breastfeed and reconnecting with themselves and their bodies because we don't see it it's not culturally normal most women haven't seen someone breastfeed until they have their own baby so if this is something that we saw all the time then it would be different we'd have this kind of rough idea of like how to hold a baby kind of what a normal feed might look like we'd know that it's normal for a baby to sit on the breast for 20 30 minutes we'd you know understand what that behavior looks like we'd see them settle on a mum's chair so they don't magically lay down in a bassinet and sleep by themselves so our expectations are just so skewed by what we hear not by what we see so yeah it's so normal that for mums who have seen babies feed and have had sisters and cousins and friends that they feel so much more confident even if they you know you know like got their training wheels on admittedly because it's their first time they've got a bit of an idea and I cannot tell you how helpful it is and that's why I'm a huge advocate for for mums to feed in public as sometimes that can be uncomfortable and unnerving but you never know who is watching and you are shaping someone else's world and their experience by something as small as feeding your baby in public and it's so powerful that we share that with our friends and with family um, 
because truly like for every person that sees it, you don't know what that's going to do for them. So thank goodness for friends that show us and share. I think also, Kate, when you were saying about the the neighbour that um, the elderly man, probably that says a lot about the time that they grew up in where there was that village and mums and sisters and neighbours and um and you know cousins and goodness knows who else would sit around and breastfeed all together and see that and they probably didn't need or as much at the time services or supports like what you provide because they they were teaching each other and that's what I guess Jazz is saying that a friend taught her to breastfeed and that's that village that we all crave that we just don't have access to you know in in our generation where this generation that's growing up and growing up as mothers without yes a village and so we need we need people like you now yeah yeah Yeah, like I I literally, I kind of, like there will always be a a role for managing complex breastfeeding issues. Yeah, like I'm never going to, there's always going to be those really tricky things where we've got babies for whatever reason or mums who have complexities. But overall, like the the work that I do where it's reassurance and really basic stuff, you know, I, I dare say shouldn't be needed if or wouldn't be needed if we had community. You know, I have heard of, multiple clients and you know kind of multiple women along my journey who have you know either been in a friendship group before they had babies and carried that through into motherhood or um, that met in mother's group or you know however they came to together Um, but they all kind of had babies of a similar age and established breastfeeding together and they were just the most supportive people for each other and it has been really cool to watch them get to, you know, that 12-month or two-year milestone in feeding. And some might have weaned, some might still be carrying on, um, but they all kind of sit there and recognise going, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have, like, my friends, if I didn't have this community, if I, you know, couldn't text someone at 2am and just go, oh, my God, like, Chloe's still feeding, I can't get her off my boob, and for another mum to go, it's all good, mate. Like they might be a month ahead or something saying, I remember this season. It's okay. Like, can I drop you a coffee at eight o'clock in the morning? You know, like, yes. can I, you know, can I take your toddler out to the park? And you go, oh, that would be amazing. Cause then you can catch up on a nap. Like yeah. that's community. And it is really cool. Cause I get to see that from my perspective with groups of women. And then I see the flip side where they either don't have that kind of support in other groups or they might not be linked in with other women. So it's really, it's really powerful. It can be, it can literally just be a pigeon pair. Like you could have two women just band together. Um, I certainly had that with a friend with my first baby. I had a couple of friends and it was just kind of the two of us. We weren't in a big group, um, but it was amazing to be able to reach those milestones and kind of sharing that together was having that solidarity and, you know, whether it be teething and sleep related, it always kind of comes back to breastfeeding and motherhood. So that support is just invaluable for everyone. So true. Um, And just changing direction a little bit because we would love to hear more. We know that you specialise in or have a special interest in pumping and so expressing breast milk. And this, again, is something that so many mums do. Um, We did a poll on our Instagram last night and 100% of the people who responded said that they either did do or plan on pump pumping for um for their baby or babies so can you talk to us a little bit about your pump better program and yeah let's just have a chat about that yeah for sure like so true like the overwhelming majority of women have a breast pump whether they've purchased it during their pregnancy which is really common um it's kind of this assumed need of like I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a pump like I'm gonna go out I'm just gonna buy one um 
And sometimes, again, part of that antenatal education is not knowing, um, you know, what pump to buy. Like, where do you start? Do you follow all the marketing claims? And that's definitely something I cover in the course because, you know, there's no bad pump. Like, they're all good for different reasons, but it depends on why you need it and what your intended purpose is. You know, how often are you going to be pumping? Where are you at in your journey when you're pumping? Like, are we trying to increase your milk supply or establish a milk supply? Are we pumping because you've returned to work? Are you pumping to create a milk stash? You know, there is no point spending, you know, $400 or $500 on a pump if it's not going to suit your needs because you're going to need another one. There's no point spending that much money if you don't need a pump to start with. Um, but then there's also no point in, say, you know, going to a baby store and spending, you know, good money on something that has great marketing claims, but frankly is a terrible pump. Um, so it's really important that we understand what makes a good pump, like what constitutes a good pump and what we would recommend for certain purposes. So, yeah, that's something I'm really passionate about because I get so sick of crappy pumps and, you know, I have so many clients saying I'm using this and I'm like, oh, yep, we can do better, you know, like you do the best with the knowledge that you have at the time. Um, But I just found that there is no Aussie resources when it comes to pumping everything is very American based and that's fine you know that's culturally what they do many women go back to work quite early after having their babies so pumping is a necessary part of their journey if they want to establish and maintain their milk supply Um, however in Australia you know some of that culture is carried over Um, but we also don't have the resources to understand, I reckon, like 90% of what it comes, you know, the information that we need when it comes to pumping. Um, So I, it was almost a year ago that I did a poll and I just asked mums, and I I looked at it again yesterday actually, um, of what they wish they knew when they started pumping. And it was as long it was you know it was pages and pages and pages and it was everything from you know how long it takes or how to actually get good milk or like what buttons do I press or how do I put a kit together or like how do I clean it like what how do I store milk or you know why does it hurt or what's the difference you know what's the thing with different flange sizes and it was literally I was kind of like there is just so much information missing and I was never taught anything about pumping as a midwife. I was taught how to connect the kit up. I was taught how to turn the pump on, turn the suction up, not how far, um, and then how to change from, you know, like a, a, a letdown to expression session. And that was about the extent of it. And then as an IBCLC, I there wasn't much more um, in my basic theory hours. I've done more training since, um, but I certainly did a whole lot of learning myself, um, pumping every day for, goodness me, about nine or 10 months. So it was in that process of doing extra learning and my own journey that I thought, you know what, we just need to do so much better because I was you know, providing this information to clients all the time certainly returning to work um, and early on in breastfeeding journeys when I'd say look I think we need to um, utilize a breast pump for xyz purpose so I'd have to provide them all this information and I thought we just we need the resources like this is not okay I didn't have anything that I could say look go and check this out this will give you the top to bottom of it all and I went you know what I just need to put something together um I need to fill in a gap because, yeah, you're right, the overwhelming majority of women have a breast pump, but most of the time they don't feel confident using it. They are either experiencing pain or poor milk flow and it's frustrating and some women it just doesn't feel like pumping works for them. So I created Pump Better. Um, it is a 60-minute, so short and sharp. All videos are, I don't. I think the longest video is like, maybe 14 or 15 minutes. Most of them are single digit minutes. You don't have to watch it top to bottom. You can jump around. So whatever you feel like you need. So if you're not sure of 
how long you should pump for. You can watch that video if you're not sure how often you should pump for. Watch that video. If you're not sure about cleaning and storing, if you want to learn about, um, you know, ways that you can increase your milk supply or maintain it, um, if you want to learn about exclusive expressing or mixed feeding, you know, everything is so broken up. How to put a kit together, how to use your settings, the different types of pumps, everything. So I tried to just make something that was so inclusive and top to bottom. And, yeah, I'm really proud of it because I've had lots of women take it who have pumped before and have just said, oh, dear God, I wish I had this in the beginning because I just felt so blindly led into pumping you know it was like oh you need to increase your milk supply or you know I'd recommend that you pump after feeds and you know 10 minutes either side or whatever and that was kind of the only advice that they were given um so yeah I'm really proud that we've got something um that is just so thorough from unboxing your kit how the heck do we use it you know the whole way down um so yeah that's all available through my website Um, and if anyone has any questions I'm always so open if they're not sure where they're at in the journey whether it'll be helpful please always just drop me a message because you know like I'm very frank if I go no it sounds like you're doing great you don't need it or you know if it might be helpful and might you know kind of give you a few extra tips or it would be really helpful I will always um, be super honest with you Um, but yeah either way it's a really fantastic Aussie based resource and so holistic and so thorough and very practical. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I said um, earlier, we, I have connected with you through my personal Instagram a few times and you've always been so helpful um, to the point where I've sort of been like, I should be paying this woman um, for, <laughs> for some of the advice that you've given me. And, and uh, again, when I've just sort of been doubting myself in those, yeah, late night feeds, um, yours is always the first um page I think of to to go to and and have a look at your resources so yeah sorry I've got chatty Charlie yeah <laughs> just having Thank a little thing yeah it's always hard because like I can't you know like I have very limited capacity and if I you know try and help everyone in a DM that fills my entire day so it sounds really hard when I say you know well, look I, I'd recommend you book a consult or you know, like if I refer you on to other resources, you know, some people get a little bit shirty at me, but, um, you know, I try and point mums in the right direction. And I do, I respond to every single message I get um, with something, um, you know, I never leave anything unread um, or unreplied to. So yeah, it's, diff- it's, it's challenging, but yes, it does consume a lot of a lot of my time, um, which mm-hmm. my husband always comments on. Um you're on Instagram again but I like I'm just mindful that everyone needs that help um but yeah like if it's something simple I will always try and help but if it if it you know requires that one-on-one support then I'll always say you know jump on and find an LC near you or if you need my help I'm always happy to you know I'm very open in that capacity so yeah I try and do what I can where I can where I'm not manic and busy but yes I'm so glad always so glad I can help mums and when they get to the other side they're like thank you I'm like oh I love that I could be part of your village that's so special even if it's inadvertently just through my page that's always really humbling so yeah so cool yeah, yeah and I we want to will... quickly oh sorry Liz I didn't want right. to quickly touch base on antenatal expressing and mm-hmm. um, like what your thoughts are on that and I guess a little bit about what you would advise doing for it. I personally didn't do it because I didn't know you could. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to quickly touch base on that with you as well before we. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super common thing. Like I'm a big fan of it. Um, mostly because we just don't know what our birth is going to look like. Um, so I'm kind of a, you know, prepare for worst case scenario, hope for the best. Like I hope that those, you know, syringes of colostrum are just going to sit deep in your freezer and you're going to look at them and go, oh, why did I waste my time? You know, I hope that's what we what we end up with. Um, but, you know, with, you know, how we're often birthing our babies, there's an increasing um, level of intervention. We're not even maintaining the level of intervention that we have, let alone reducing it. We're actually increasing it. Um, and so, unfortunately, what that means is that there's an increasing separation of mums and babies. There's um, ba- more babies going to special care units or NICUs. Um, there's increased uh, 
uh, blood glucose level monitoring, um, other blood tests and, you know, early recommendations of formula. So from a, from a system point of view, um, it's kind of like a, a bit of a protective um, preparation and protective mechanism. So how I discuss it to mums is, you know, the benefits are there even if we don't collect anything. So I often say, you know, when I recommend it, I go, look, I don't, if you don't get anything, I want to normalize that because there's so much pressure. Like we might often see on Instagram, you know, like five mil syringes full of this beautiful liquid yellow gold. And, you know, mums are barely getting a drop or two out. And sometimes that's technique. So, you know, it can really help to work with someone. And um, I include a video instruction guide in my antenatal expressing kits because I find that can really help um, but there's certainly other videos around um, but it's that sitting down and that awareness of our breasts like we've never handled our breasts until we breastfeed before so like they've always been there they're obviously part of our anatomy but you know to actually you know understand what our tissue feels like and how it works and you know where muscle is and where glandular tissue is and how that correlates with our nipples and our milk ducts you know we haven't utilized our body in this really purposeful capacity before so if nothing else we learn about our breasts we learn to feel comfortable with them and you know and what hand expressing looks like how that feels um so that's a really important lesson irrespective of whether we collect a single drop or not so i really try and reassure clients about that i go look if you never fill a syringe it is absolutely okay because if we need to express colostrum in the first couple of days after bubby is born you are then going to feel so much more comfortable using your hands around your breasts than you would have been had you not done this. So we're already a step ahead, even if we don't have any colostrum in a syringe. So at bare minimum, I love it for that reason. Um, but next to that, yes, if we do have any colostrum that we can collect, um, it can be helpful if we need to bolster up our babies in the case of any kind of separation or monitoring, um, as well as that sometimes just that second night syndrome where babies are cluster feeding around the clock and they might have fed and fed and fed and fed and fed and you're just like I just need to go to the toilet I just need to have a shower I'm just going to give you a boost of a few mils and hopefully that will tie you over for 20 minutes before I come back again um, and certainly that's when I I, I used mine for my my two daughters um, I used all my colostrum very quickly with my third baby um, because with his tongue tie he wasn't feeding well at all and needed everything and ended up pumping um, around the clock for him. Um, but yeah, so I find it a really protective factor, just birthing in the system. I find most mums, if they're confident with breastfeeding and they're really well supported, you know, if they um, birth outside of the system, you know, in terms of having a home birth or a birth centre birth, I find that it's not needed as much um, because it is, it's a different model of care and there's different supports in place. Um, but again, it doesn't hurt because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how birth is going to unfold or how postpartum is going to unfold. We don't know what that baby's going to do, what mum's going to do and what's going to happen. So again, you know, worst case scenario, going to sit in the freeze and you go, well, what do I do with this? And that's not a terrible problem to have if you feel more confident with your breasts and you've got a backup should you need it. So, yeah. I actually really enjoyed um, antenatal expressing with my second. So with my first, I just, I, I couldn't get anything and I found it really mm. disappointing. Like you said, I would see um, or talk to my friends who are around the same sort of gestation and they'd be getting these big full syringes and I could yeah. And I found it really disheartening. Um, but with my second, I actually really enjoyed the process of it and I would set myself up in the room and I would make myself a cup of red raspberry leaf tea and just dim the lights and listen to my hypnobirthing tracks and just do a little bit of just a little bit each day from sort of 37 weeks onwards and much like you Kate I used um, all of my stash in those first few days because I had a very sleepy newborn who um, in the first few days we had a bit of trouble with with latching um so we would just give him a little bit of colostrum just sort of just keep him keep him topped up and yeah we 
look so far are having a beautiful a beautiful breastfeeding journey so yeah so good yeah it's so helpful like it's just a good it's just a good backup but yeah there's the when we talk about internet expressing the really the negative part of it is just that the fear that oh, I can't express anything, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to breastfeed. And I hear that a lot from women when they come in to have their babies. You know, um, if I ask, I always check with every woman, I'm like, you know, because sometimes they forget that they've got colostrum in their bags and I don't want it to defrost. I always say, did you, you know, have you got any colostrum with you? And the amount of women who say, oh, no, I couldn't express anything. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to breastfeed is just so disheartening so I think we need to really change that rhetoric of you know internet expressing is about collecting colostrum that's kind of that byproduct part for me and so that's where I'm trying to really focus with clients is learning how to utilize our breasts you know understanding our tissue understanding how to hand express because it is a skill um I have been hand expressing between myself and you know supporting other women as as a midwife for the best part of like 10 years um so I often try and reassure women that you know what hand expressing for me I, I haven't had a single supply issue with any of my children but the absolute most I was ever able to internally express was about one mil like in one sitting like the ab, ab on the absolute most most of the time it was around half a mil on average I think the first times I ever tried in each pregnancy was maybe 0.1 or 0.2 and I've got good technique. So, you know, so to, to really reassure them and go, it's not about the volume. It's about that practice and things like that. So if all you ever get is a syringe or two, you know, like that's still beautiful and that's still so helpful, you know, in the event that, you know, you're ever separated from baby, if that's going to be the first thing that touches your baby's tummy, then that is so incredibly beneficial. Um, and worst case scenario, we can always try and hand express after the baby is born. If, you know, for whatever reason, if, if, if um, baby isn't with you, look, and again, if we could fix the system, we wouldn't separate mums and babies. So unfortunately this comes from a, you know, rebound kind of attitude where we have to do these things. I wish we didn't, um, but until we kind of overhaul the system, you know, this is what we're doing, unfortunately. So, yeah. And just quickly, I, I know we're running out of time, but I, I really wanted to ask this. Um suction devices to catch your letdown won't name any brands or anything like that but what are yep. your because I found it very mixed with advice I was getting from midwives lactation consultants friends family all the rest um a lot of I I did notice a lot of my friends knew about it was going to use them or was using them um but again you know very conflicted um advice on it so I just wanted to know what you can tell us around, yeah, suction devices to catch that let down and if it's necessary or if it's, you know, overstimulating for your breast or, yeah. Yeah. Look, it's such a good question, Jazz, because it's they're just so common, aren't they? Like, you know, it's kind of like a, I've, I, you know, it's part of what's in your, you know, like nursery room before you have your baby. It's something that you've bought. It's part of your baby shower present. You know, like it's just so commonplace. And I do include them, you know, under the branch of a breast pump now they are very different to a typical breast pump because they rely on suction only and it's a constant suction so you know they're quite different in that respect but they don't just sit on the breast and catch a letdown unless you simply hold it there with your hand then it's going to catch a letdown and that's usually quite small. Like what we see flowing from the other breast without any suction is quite little. Um, it's usually enough in the early days to, you know, like kind of dampen um, a breast pad. If your breasts are quite full, you might soak a whole breast pad. And that's going to vary for each woman. For some women, there might not be any lost on the other side. For other women, it's going to soak multiple breast pads. Most sit somewhere in the middle. Um, but when we utilize, um, you know, a, I call them a silicon manual pump um, and we actually suction it on. So we fold the flange back before flipping it back over onto our, onto our breast and we squeeze the barrel to increase the suction. Then we are, we're applying it, we're applying a constant suction to our breast and that is manually um, withdrawing milk with a negative pressure relying on that letdown process, but, you know, kind of still withdrawing milk from our breast and it always comes back to the why. Like everything is about the why for me because 
you know, like, why are we, why are we pumping or why are we using this? Or like, you know, why are we doing this kind of intervention? What is the goal for you? You know, for, if I've got a mum who wants to exclusively breastfeed, but has one and feels the need to put it on for every single feed, I will very gently say, why are you doing this? Um, because what are we going to do with that milk? You know, like quite frankly, what are we going to do? Like if we, if our goal is to feed our baby around the clock from our breast, what is expressing extra milk and putting it in our freezer going to do? Now this might be different for a mum who has to return to work um, and is trying to create, you know, a, 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 a freezer stash of, you know, like one to two feeds so that when she goes back to work that first day, there's a couple of feeds ready. So when she pumps, she can replace it for the next day. That's a different story. That's a really awesome tool and it can work really well, you know, in the early days, certainly in those the newborn period when our milk supply is at its highest um, or those first morning feeds when our milk supply is at its highest as well. So it can be a really good tool to create a little bit of a freezer stash. But in reality, we don't really need any more than one or two um, frozen feeds because we should be pumping to replace what we're giving baby while we're away. Um, so I think it is such an overused product and not something that's needed as such um, for the overwhelming majority of mums. Now, any milk that leaves your breast, your body thinks is going to your baby. So yes, they we certainly saw like, you know, in the lactation consultant world, we saw this rise of mums with an oversupply because they were using it with every single feed. So if we are feeding our baby 10 12 times a day and we're using a silicon manual pump on the alternate breast for every single feed around the clock and we're getting 30 or 40 mil we might be getting far more than that um, but if we're getting that much you know we're creating a little bit of an extra monster and that's you know we, we could be looking at three or four hundred extra mil per day and given the fact that the average baby when directly breastfeeding will take around 750 to 800 ml of milk from the breast every day, that's an extra 50% of milk that we don't actually need to give our baby. So we definitely saw this rise of oversupply. And that does come with its own issues. We often talk about how challenging low supply is and there's this perception that having an oversupply must be this really fabulous problem to have like, oh, what a, you know, how hard, a little bit of a, you know, kind of, what do we call this? The with the lower lip, like, you know, how terrible an oversupply must be. When women who truly have an oversupply, it is a very challenging thing to deal with and we do not undermine it at all because oversupply can come with its own myriad of issues with baby feeding, with mastitis, and it is around the clock difficult. So if we can avoid creating an oversupply to start with, you know, why would we do it? You know, we just want to aim for a healthy, normal milk supply. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I can't tell you the last time I recommended a client using one, whether that be a midwifery client or a lactation consultant client, because if we need to express breast milk to either increase or maintain our milk supply, they are not adequate. Um, they are probably only really helpful if we are really engorged in the first you know, kind of couple of weeks. But even then, if we can just feed our baby on demand, if we can hand express a little bit, and it, it's usually not much, certainly in the shower can be good. Um, feed our baby slightly more regularly if we're uncomfortable. There's other ways around it that can help us to normalise our milk supply without expressing and creating an extra step in the process. So, yeah, they're definitely a... Uh, oversold overutilized not such a needed thing in my experience but you know it's a little bit culturally ingrained now isn't it yeah that's it yeah Kate I'm just mindful of time and not wanting to take up too much of yours although I genuinely could listen to you all day um and <laughs> as we spoke Thank about you. before we started recording um I also just want to be very careful that we're not um, just asking you to give all of your secrets out. For free. Um, I have none. I have none. I'm very open. 
I'm very open. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, we know you've got a lot going on in your personal life and professional life at the moment. So we're very appreciative um, that you made time for us and our listeners. And we know that this episode is going to be so helpful for so many people. So thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And I'm I'm always so happy to chat about postpartum and I'm always thankful for women who are kind of collectively banding together and just doing their bit to raise that awareness. Um, you know, like I've some of the beautiful podcasts I've done before have been, you know, like in a similar boat where they've been fairly new and I love it because you never know who you're going to reach. You never know who's going to listen to this and where they're going to be from and the support that you can create. So it goes so far beyond, you know, your own, your own four walls. Um, And it's just such a powerful tool. So matrescence and postpartum is just undervalued underappreciated and just needs so much more support and awareness and we're working on it but yeah I'm so thankful that you guys are doing your bit as well and so always a pleasure to be able to jump on and and, you know chip in and chip away at where we can because we need to do better for everyone Thank you. And I also um, just wanted to, it's very fitting actually that today is International Women's Day and um, we're recording this. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, yeah, the girls. Yes. Yeah, the girls. (laughs) We can do so much better and I have so many thoughts about International Women's Day. But yes, that would be an entirely whole podcast in and of itself, wouldn't it? But yeah, happy (laughs) International Women's Day to you too. Thanks so much, Kate. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Liv and Jazz. Pleasure chatting. Hi, Kate. I'm just going to be... Well, everyone, that's another episode done for today and we cannot wait to release more. You guys are in for some incredible chats over the next few weeks. And remember, if you want to share your postpartum journey with us or if you are a professional with some helpful advice, please reach out. Our contact details are in the show notes below and you can find us on Instagram and via email. Have a great day, guys, and we'll see you next time.